We have been studying out of the book of Hebrews in our Wednesday night lessons. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find there God's hall of fame of the heroes of the faith. It's a reminder to those reading the Hebrew letter of victories that have been won because of faith. Because you see, the writer of the Hebrew letter was concerned, deeply concerned, about the spiritual well-being of his readers. Because his readers were fellow Jews. Those who had left Judaism and become followers of Jesus Christ. They'd become Christians. And so the Hebrew letter is a book written to Christian people. And the message of Hebrews is a message that's to be taken in a context of faith. Taken in its entirety, the letter warns against apostasy that leads to a wasted life. Guess what? Those Hebrew Christians were finding life difficult. They were finding the way of Christianity to be hard. There was persecution. And the writer was concerned that they might drift back into Judaism. Our text this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2. The first four verses. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and diversity of miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. To be sure, there is quite possibly a much more vivid picture than the one that's given in the King James translation. Because there are two words that are used, and they're words that are key words in the original language. One of those words is translated as, give the more earnest it carries the idea of paying attention to something. It carries the idea of being cautious about our actions. And that's the most common meaning of the word that's translated there, to give the more earnest heed. The other word is, let them slip. And the significance of that word is to find oneself flowing, gliding, are passing by something. In this passage, the significance is finding oneself flowing or passing by the things of God. It is ignoring the things related to salvation and letting those things related to salvation slip. According to most scholars, 
It is regularly used of something allowed to slip or something to be lost. And actually, it most often carries with it a nautical connotation. According to Barclay, the first verse of the passage could literally and vividly be translated this way. Therefore, we must the more eagerly anchor our lives to the things we've been taught, lest the ship of life drift past the harbor and be wrecked. You see, the figure suggests a boat. A boat that's drifting along with the tide at an almost imperceptible pace. A boat or a ship that's drifting to destruction because the captain is asleep and the ship is carried by the current. And the ship, because the captain is asleep, the ship is being carried along in the wrong direction by a very subtle current. And that's the great threat that these Hebrew Christians are facing. And folks, let's be honest. That's the threat that faces every Christian. I don't know about you, but I personally, I have never personally known anyone who deliberately and in a moment made a decision and said, I'm going to turn my back on God. I've never known that person. But I have over the years known so many people who drifted day by day farther and farther and farther away from God. And that's something we would do well to be aware of. And we would do well to be continuously on the alert of the peril of the drifting life. You see, this exhortation, it's not just an exhortation for these Jewish Christians. It's for us. It's for me. It's for you. The Bible always calls our attention to the big, momentous questions of life. The Bible calls our attention to those eternally important questions. If a man die, shall he live again? Is thine heart right? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is your life? And in our text, there's an intensely personal question in verse 3. After he's encouraged his readers not to drift away, he asks the question, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation.
Phillips translates that as, how shall we escape if we fail to pay attention to our salvation? There's one word in that text. One word that points to the reason that men and women are finally lost. People are not lost because they intend to be lost. They're not. Do you suppose that anyone, anyone, really intends, consciously intends, plans on losing their soul? Does anyone, on purpose, miss heaven? With all of its beauty and with all of its glory? Do you suppose that anyone by design and by intent plans to spend eternity apart from God and separated from Him? Well then, if they don't, why are men and women lost? Why do people miss heaven? The reason is found in that one little word, neglect, in the King James translation. Failing to pay attention. Now when you think about it, our world is a battlefield covered with wreckage occasioned by neglect. There are people who've destroyed their health because they didn't pay attention to it. We go to the doctor. The doctor makes a careful diagnosis. The doctor says, here's what you've got to do to remain healthy. And then we exercise our own vast medical knowledge learned from our many days spent in medical school and we blatantly ignore the doctor's advice. Or what about a minor repair to the home that's sometimes neglected? That that little bitty small leak, I'll get to that next week. And that little leak becomes a bigger leak. And then it leaks down and it hits the insulation and it soaks the insulation. And then one day you're sitting there watching TV, fat, dumb, and happy, and a whole hunk of sheetrock lands at your feet because you didn't pay attention to that one little minor repair. Small things, neglected, ignored, can become big projects. Often the small things that are neglected can ruin our equipment. Several years ago, Norm and I went down to Austin to spend some time with Bryant and Abby. Norman, Abby, and I had gone to the County Line Barbecue up on the hill. If you've never eaten there, you should try it sometime. It's good. And we were waiting for, for Bryant to get there. And he drove up. He had his Mustang with his five-speed transmission. And he drove up. And as he drove up, I heard him coming up the hill. And it was not an old car. He parked. And I said, Son... 
when was the last time you checked your oil? It's been a while, Daddy. I said, well, I think it's way past time to check your oil. We ate supper, and I said, now let's go to the closest convenience store, service station, gas station, because we need some oil in that car. Well, sure enough, we pulled up at a convenience store just about two blocks away. And Bryant was like the guy that went into AutoZone the other day and asked him if they had any longer dipsticks. And they said, what for? He said, well, the dipstick in my car won't reach the oil anymore. Now, Bryant's dipstick in his Mustang wouldn't reach the oil. And so we poured about two and a half quarts of oil in that thing and brought it up about halfway on the dipstick where it needed to be. I said, now... Tomorrow we go get the oil changed. So the next day we went and got the oil changed. And of course the car was still going, boom, boom. It still didn't sound right. So he took it to the Ford dealership over in Marble Falls and they explained to him how much money it was going to cost to have an engine overhaul. The, bottom, the, the rest of the story is that uh, he called me the next week and told me what they said. And so the next weekend, Norm and I met him in College Station with his new car he had bought from San Augustine Motors that he had never seen and uh, got the Mustang that he traded in. Why? Because he didn't check the oil. Guess what? He's got a log book on his car now. And he can tell you every time he's had an oil change. And every time he gases up, he checks his oil. Because you know what? That was an expensive lesson. Small things neglected can become big things. But the supreme realm of neglect is the realm of religion, our spirituality. The tragedy is that in the realm of religion, that's where we often find neglect doing its greatest work. Oftentimes as Christians, we have to bemoan the fact that our neglect has been so serious. Is there any of us that does not have some twinge of sorrow over duties that have been neglected? Perhaps we grieve silently over opportunities forfeited. Maybe we grieve over privileges that have been allowed to slip away from us. And sadly, sometimes we've neglected the great matters of Christianity. We've neglected people. We've forgotten people. We've overlooked people. We've given our attention to things less consequential and important and we've let the most important things slip away from us. How many are there today, right here, right now, in our own city, neglecting the church? Some who perhaps even one day, once upon a time, were Sunday school teachers. Some who once upon a time were dedicated, devoted, committed Christian workers. But they drifted with the tide. And today they have no deep religious habits 
whatsoever. How many of us, right here, right now, have neglected the claims of the church on our lives? And by our neglect, has it caused the church to lose power with our friends? Has it caused the church to lose power with our families and our acquaintances? Have we at times, by our neglect, by our lack of commitment, made the church a laughingstock? And then the great question is this, is our neglect of duty, is it a symptom of a much deeper malady that's infecting us? Is it symptomatic of our suffering from a crisis of faith? Is it because we don't really feel like there's something to escape from? Is it because deep down inside our faith is so weak we really don't believe there is a place called hell? The writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Beloved, men and women do not have to blaspheme God to lose their souls. All we have to do is just go with the tide and drifting and neglecting and ultimately be lost. Neglect of our souls. That's the tragedy of all tragedies and that's the deadly undoing of our souls. You see, in this passage, our salvation, my salvation, yours, is involved in this matter of neglect. Is there anything that can compare to the value of the soul? What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? What is a man profited? If he gains the whole world, Jesus said, and loses his own soul. That was the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this earth. He came to bring salvation for me and for you. He came to save us from sin and make us fit subjects for heaven. He came to save us from sin to righteousness, to save us from selfishness to magnanimity and nobility, to save us from littleness into greatness. Jesus came to turn defeat into triumph in our lives and to save us from hell to go to heaven. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about hell and why I don't want to go there. And then we talked about heaven and why I want to go there. And we've got to understand that getting to heaven, that's kind of an important thing. In fact, it's a matter of supreme importance. And Jesus came to this earth with this great salvation to save us. He came to save us from our remorseful past. Aren't there chapters in all of our lives we'd like to forget about? I know there are in mine. Chapters we'd like to just completely have amnesia about. Maybe times when we were selfish and mean. Times in our lives we don't like to think about, much less talk about. 
times that maybe we were having a crisis of faith and we weren't living the way God wanted us to. Isn't it great that there is a power to blot out every evil, wicked thing in our past? A power to forgive our mistakes, forgive our mistaken words, our mistaken deeds, and our wickedness and selfishness and all of those things. You see, there is truly power in the blood. A power so great that it can cleanse us and wash us and once more we can be white like snow. Jesus came to save us from our remorseful past. But guess what? Jesus also saves us from the stressful, eventful, crowded present. Jesus will bring big peace to our lives in the battles we fight every day. Jesus will bring us comfort in the responsibilities that come to confront us. The greatest need of our lives right now is Jesus Christ. We need Jesus more than we need human support. We need Jesus more than we need a support animal. We need Jesus more than we need family and friends. We need Him more than we need bread or meat or good health. Write this down. It's on the final exam. When we make Jesus Christ the supreme focus of our lives, Jesus tells us we don't need to be afraid of what's coming next. We don't need to be afraid of some dark day out yonder in the future. We need to remember the parting words to His disciples after He'd eaten the Passover with them. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I would to God that I could convey to every person on the top side of God's green earth the importance of this passage we read at the beginning. You see, neglect of our salvation is an unreasonable thing. Neglect of our spiritual welfare is unreasonable and it is illogical. It is unreasonable and it is illogical to neglect the God who made us. Here's a question. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe there is a life after death in either heaven or hell as God's Word tells us there is? Do we live like we believe it? That's the question. Neglect of our salvation is not right. It's not right toward anybody. It's not right toward God. It's not right toward ourselves. It's not right toward others. And it's not safe. This life is not all there is. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed and a man wants to die. And then comes the judgment. We will die. We must die. It's not an option. And then comes the judgment. And so the choice ultimately comes down to two masters. Two masters. 
One is our friend. The other is our enemy. It's a choice between God and Satan. It's a choice between two lives. Living for God or living like the devil. It's a choice between two deaths. One unafraid and one in in peace. And the other without preparation and without God. The choice to make is a choice for each of us individually. And the choice is yours. The lesson is done. Decisions are to be made. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? If not and you need to make changes, come and let us help you do that as together we stand and while we sing.